I have one thing to say to you. Kiss my fat ass. Hello, fellow mourners of diet culture. It is I, Emily Lubin. I'm the Grim Reaper and the host of this show. Welcome to RIP Diet Season 2, Episode 7. I have such a fun show for you guys today. I'm going to get into the conversation in just a couple minutes because it was a long one. I sat down with a really special woman, Noelle Winters Herzog. She is a podcaster. She co-hosts the 90 Day Fiance Trash Talk podcast and the Teen Mom Trash Talk podcast with my girl Tracy Carnazzo. Their podcasts are so funny and entertaining. And as somebody who loves reality TV, I encourage everybody who is a stan of reality TV to check out the podcast because these women are hilarious and It just makes it a more fun watching experience to have a podcast to listen to as a little accoutrement. I know that I do it with The Bachelor. I listen to like four different Bachelor podcasts. It just gets you more into the show and it you feel like you're commiserating a little bit with these women as you watch it, um, which is super fun. But Noelle is a very interesting person, one that I have been wanting to get to know more for a while. And it's funny because I've known Noelle for a couple years now, casually, and I never knew that she was overweight when she was growing up and had a very similar trajectory as I did in terms of coming into adulthood and losing weight, some of it natural, some of it not so natural, um, and really coming to terms with body image and learning to accept herself the way she is. I, I see so many similarities between she and I. And I'm not sure if I've gone into this in too much depth, but when you grow up as an overweight child, and especially uh, somebody like me who grew up into their 20s, early 20s, classified as overweight, and then suddenly losing so much weight, you see the world so differently than everybody else. At least that's how it feels for me. I don't meet somebody and immediately size them up based on their appearance And I think I have the ability to look deeper because that's what I wanted people to do with me when I was younger. And I felt judged very harshly at times. So I think it made me a more sensitive person and and a little bit less judgmental of others' appearances. But I think also it, it gives you this perspective into the currency of appearance and It helps you to know the difference between somebody treating you a certain way just because they like your appearance or your appearance is acceptable to them and whether that person is genuine and really wants to get to know you. That's something that I struggled with a lot in my early 20s after losing a lot of weight. Suddenly I was in this very socially acceptable body And it drove me kind of insane because I felt like I couldn't trust anyone. I didn't know if people really liked me for me or if they just liked me because I now looked more beautiful than I had perceived myself to look. And something that I still struggle with. I I still struggle with these trust issues. Trust issues. That happened as a result of that. 
Noelle and I talk about just that and so much more. We talk about the mythology of women's bodies and certain ways that we microanalyze women's bodies, such as pointing out a thigh gap or pointing out hip cleavage or all these little things that in the end just make us feel bad about ourselves because even if we're happy with our bodies, now it seems like every other week there's a new trait or a new physical pinnacle that we're trying to reach, like a thigh gap, which as we discuss in this conversation, some people have a thigh gap, some people don't, and it just depends on your bone structure. It is not a sign that you're overweight if your thighs touch. It is not a sign that you're underweight if your thighs don't touch. But that got really big for a while. And um, Lord knows I stressed about that. And we get into all these little things. We get into what it was like for her to be raised by a single father and dealing with body image issues in that context. And we get into her weight loss journey and what it meant for her to lose a lot of weight and to suddenly be perceived differently by men, by women. Um, So I think... Anybody who has had a similar journey as I did of having lost weight early in adulthood and no longer knows exactly how to perceive themselves or suffers from body dysmorphia because of that, all of that fun stuff, you're really going to get a lot out of this conversation, I think. So let's get right into it. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with the lovely Noelle Winters Herzog. How many shrimps do you have to eat before you make your skin turn pink? Eat too much and you'll get sick. Shrimps are pretty rich. You guys, my guest today is a fabulous woman. She is the co-host of the 90 Day Fiance Trash Talk podcast with friend of the show, Tracy Carnazzo, one of my favorite human beings. I'm so happy to have her on the show. Noelle Winters Herzog, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. I. This is a long time coming. I should have had you on so much earlier, but it didn't come to me. And I'll tell you exactly when it came to me. You are a member of the private Facebook group. Yes. And you posted something in the Facebook group that had it had the group ablaze, so to speak, (laughs) which was that when you were growing up, the boys at school would walk around and like point out girls thigh gaps and call them sluts because of their thigh gaps, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely disgusting. And I got to say, I've never heard that, but I have heard I had I I went abroad in college and I had a roommate who was from China. OK. And we got to be very close friends. But she was, you know, she was same age as me, but grew up in China. So there were definite cultural differences. And she told me one day that she could tell if a girl was a virgin based on the shape and height of her ass. Like (laughs) how high and tight her ass was. And I remember being like, Jane, um, that's okay. But what if the, (laughs) what if the girl works out? Right. And she was like, oh yeah, well that too. 
Oh, okay. So both. <laughs> so either. So, so what you're saying is there actually is no way to tell if right. urgent. It's so weird how like this mythology is created a around women's bodies. You don't see the same thing happening to, to men's bodies. Never. You know, they, these kids, when I was younger, they would make up just these weird things. It's true. I would have, if you had a little thigh gap, it was like, oh, you must've banged a lot of guys. <laughs> And it's like, they, they like what? opened up the thigh slot with yeah. their dick. And it's almost like, I wish that would happen. You know? Right? <laughs> that, yeah. I wonder how many girls like started banging a bunch of dudes <laughs> hoping for the thigh gap. When did the thigh gap emerge as like a thing? Do Like what, when do you remember that becoming a thing? I don't remember hearing about it until like, yeah, I guess like early to mid 2000s. Right. Like not it wasn't when I was younger. Like I, I think I was in my twenties more when it yeah. happened. Cause I was like, when people started talking about it, I'm like a, a thigh gap, a thing. It's a good thing. Like, yeah, I like just a, didn't is know. that desirable. Right. And I've said that I'm, I mean, I must have said this before, but I'll say it again. Like everybody's body is shaped differently and it actually mm -hmm. has no bearing on like whether you're overweight, underweight, like I'll tell you, I have wide set hips. So mm -hmm. No matter what weight I am, my thighs have never rubbed together. But I know women who are the same size as me or smaller than me who their thighs rub together. They have chafing in the summer and need to apply something to them. Like it literally does not matter at all. I think it just became this, this symbol, I guess, that you're yeah. like, same thing with the hip cleavage. Hip cleavage was really big for a while. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think People that's probably realize. still big. It is big, but I don't think people realize you're right. Different bodies are just different shaped. Like I'm just a small person. I'm a right. narrow person in general. And like, I'm not very like hourglass shaped. Mm -hmm. and you're more he, like straight up and down. I'm very straight up and down. And people like, I think they think I have to like work for that. And it's yeah. like, no, these are just my bones. Like this is yes. just me. Yes. Right. Like no matter what you do, you can't change the shape of your hips. Right. Or your pelvic region. <laughs> like that's not, I mean, maybe with surgery you could, but definitely right. not by any natural remedies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love to know. You told me off mic just now that you were overweight as a child, which I did not know about you. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what was your perception of your body when you were younger? When did you become aware of your body? When did it become a thing? Well, I was raised um, by a man. My dad was a single father. Oh. So I didn't really have like a woman to look up to, to know like, oh, like what's normal even? Like wh what, if is it okay if I'm heavy? Like my hormones were crazy. Like my dad didn't really understand that stuff. Yeah. And I remember even when I was overweight as a kid, he told me like, but nobody in our family's fat. You can't be fat. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, to this day, when I'm skinny and people say something to me like about being skinny, I'm like, well, everybody in my family's skinny. And it's like such a habit. It's so crazy. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there is truth to that. Like if you look at the people in your family, you can get an idea for like what your genetic blueprint yes. is, but that doesn't always apply. And that can be very hurtful, actually. Do you have any siblings? I don't. I'm an only child. Yeah. They, I have an older sister and okay. that's like a very, very unique thing where like your older sister is seen as like having the perfect body type because sure. my older sister is very petite. So we've met each other, you know, I'm tall, I'm five, yeah. eight. So mm -hmm. my sister is about five, one, 
I think. Wow. Yeah. Very petite. And like growing up constantly just praised for being small and mm-hmm. praised for, you know, you know, having tiny little feet and tiny little hands and tiny little legs. So I just thought that's what I was supposed to be because, you know, my family seemed to worship that whole idea. Right. But it wasn't until much later, like honestly, in the past five years that I started to be like, oh, that was never going to happen. Like, that's not what I should have been striving for at all because I could never be like that. I'm, I'm six inches taller than she is. You know what right. I mean? But just mm-hmm. have different things going on. So it's like, yes, you can sometimes get an idea for what, what you are destined for in a way, but it's by no means like something that you should compare yourself to. And it's so hard because you hear something like that. And it's true. Then I I was thinking back, my dad had four sisters. Everyone was tall. Everyone was skinny. And then like my father and his sisters, they would call me when I was younger, Anushka. They would say I was a Russian wrestler. This is what they would tell me. Like (laughs) they would call me Anushka, the Russian wrestler, because I was like a heavy little girl. And it was like, it made me feel terrible. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. And it Did was they like, know they were that joking. they were right. Like they didn't know that that was hurting your feelings. They were no. Just, and I don't think at the time I knew it was hurting my feelings either. Sure. You know, and it was yeah. like later on, I was like, oh, oh, maybe that wasn't good. <laughs> maybe that <laughs> yeah. wasn't great. Yeah. So was your dad, did your dad struggle to like help you through like the teenage years or like the, the typical girl stuff that happens. Oh, for getting your period, stuff like that. He, you know, he was very open about it. Like I would be like, I have my period. He'd be like, okay, I'll go to the store for you. Like he was so cool because he had four sweethearts. Yeah. So like he was very open about it. Nothing embarrassed him. He like taught me how to shave. Like he was very cool, but again, he's just a man. He just can't understand what you go through when you're younger. He just can't. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then, um, and then at what point did you start to lose weight? Was it intentional? Like, did you go on a diet to lose weight? Oh, I tried every diet when I was younger. My grandmother was the only person in my family besides myself who was overweight. Okay. And she would do like Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, you know, and I'm 15 years old counting my points. It it was like, uh, this is, you know, she was trying. Everybody thought this was like, okay, but nobody realized how not okay it was. Yeah, they didn't. They really didn't know that all that stuff is really terrible for kids. They didn't because I I was sent to fat camp when I was younger. And it's just uh, like my mom, you know, she was just trying to do what was, you know, she, right. she wanted to help me. She thought that the problem was my body. Like I've gotten to the point now where I can understand she was doing everything that back then they thought you were supposed mm-hmm. to do. Whereas now I think people know more like, okay, just l- the best thing to do is nothing really. Sure. Because mm-hmm. you can't force a child. You Even if you can force a child to diet, how could they ever stick to it? It's hard enough for a, you know, 40 year old, 50 year old to stick to a diet. How is a 10 year old going to stick to a diet? And that's the thing. And then it was like, then you start to feel guilty when yeah. you would eat. And, and, and that's where the bad feelings come from. And uh, my mom lived in California. So I would spend summers with my mother and my mother's like a workout freak. Like uh, works out 24 seven fitness, um, eats really well. And it's like, I, I couldn't relate to her. 
And she would try to make me like work out. And it's like, no matter where I went, someone was trying to make me lose weight. Yeah. You like didn't have a safe space back then. No. Mm-mm. Ugh. And did you get teased for it? Was it that bad? Oh, I, I you know, I got teased too because I was the tallest girl and the biggest girl. So it was like, I just couldn't win. I really yeah. couldn't. I had like, just like frizzy hair and a unibrow. I was so bad. It sucks. I see your picture, like your middle school yearbook picture. I would love to see that. Oh, I will share with you. I will share. That's a really tough age too for girls because boys don't get, they don't have growth spurts until like much later on. So right. at that age, like a lot of the girls are taller than the boys too. Oh, and we would have to go to these parties and spin the bottle and like, nobody wanted to kiss me, you know, and it was, just, <laughs> it sucked. It really yeah. sucked. Oh my God. That's all. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so you said when you were 17, you lost a significant amount of weight. Yes. Was that from a diet? That was from me basically making myself throw up, not eating, you know, becoming like really restrictive, like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm going to eat a quarter cup of rice a day that, you know, that kind of life. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was scary, but I, again, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. Yeah. I, I, that's probably just what you saw other people doing and you sure they had success with it. That, that's the thing. They had success with it. I didn't realize like I was damaging my body too. Right. And how long did that last? Like the purging and restricting? The purging didn't last very long. The restricting I have struggled with forever. I um like now I don't restrict myself, but I always have that little like monster somewhere in me that I yeah. feel could creep out, you know? Yeah, that's that is a great way to describe it. It is a monster. I call it Well, I call it the eating disorder voice. It's like, there's your voice Mm -hmm. and there's the eating disorder voice. And they're always at odds with each other. And it's like, yes, voice am I going to listen to today? Mm -hmm. So you still do you struggle with that in in quarantine, too? I've been asking people about that, too, because it's like a lot of people feel really isolated and like we can't go to the gym and we can't do like things that we're used to doing. Has that been an issue? Well, being the thing is, right, we're home, we're not active. And I think it's more that it's just too much time on my hands. Yeah. So it's like I sit here and I find myself more mindlessly eating and it's like just junk. And then I, you know, I start to look at myself and it's like I start to pick myself apart and it's just, you know, it's just it's a bad cycle. Yeah. Who do you turn to when you have feelings like that? Um, I turn to Tracy, my best friend. And uh, I turned to my husband. I, you know, he's, he wrestled in high school and he struggled with restricting himself a lot or binge eating to gain weight. And they, he gets they encourage that to wrestlers. Cause yes. like the, the weight classes are all like seven pounds apart. Like you need to be so specific about what weight class you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually learned that from Billy Prasida came on the podcast and he was a high school wrestler and they would like, they would weigh you every time and they would tell you, okay, if you want to compete, then you need to lose two pounds by the next competition to be in the right weight class and all of that nonsense. It sounds really stressful. And for a kid, you know, he was 16 years old and he would tell me he would just drink water for four days because he had to lose weight for the thing, you know, for his meat or whatever it was. And it's like, you're 16 years old. 
That's terrible. That's encouraging an eating disorder. Yeah. And it's a school sport too. Right. Like I doubt you were doing well in your classes. Right. Mm -hmm. That's awful. I, (laughs) that's great that you can relate to him about it though. I could totally relate to him, but you know, I've, I've definitely, um, this is the most comfortable I've ever felt with eating and how I look. And I, I think this is the least anxious I've probably been in my life. And like, in the, like the safest I've felt. And I think that's why I'm able to relax a lot more. I feel like happy when I was younger, I never felt safe. And I think that was my way of controlling the world around me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's definitely the way that it was for me too. Mm -hmm. The great thing about being an adult is you get to start your own family and you get to like, you kind of get to go by your own rules when Mm -hmm. you do that. Um, I have another question. I saw that you posted something about, about being off cigarettes for quite a few years. Congratulations. Also, I didn't know that either, but how long have you been off of cigarettes? I don't even know if that's like the right way to ask that question, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I think, uh, it's about two and a half years now. I, which is unbelievable to me. What kind of a smoker were you? Were you like a pack a day? A pack a day. Okay. Yeah. Damn. I was a heavy smoker and my entire family smoked also. Oh, really? So, yeah. So it was like, I grew up my whole life. My dad smoked in the house with me. So it was just almost like natural. Yeah. And then did you, I'm guessing you just quit for your own health. I quit for my own health. I want to get pregnant soon enough. And it's like, I, you know, it's just terrible for you. It really yeah. is. And I loved smoking. <laughs> I, I mean, nicotine is great. Do you, do you use a vape or do you use anything else? Nothing. No, Nothing. I went cold Turkey and I've never touched one again. Oh, Nothing. that's so fabulous. <laughs> I you. picked up a vaping habit. I've never been a smoker, oh. but I picked up a vaping habit in the past year and and they, I swear I'm going somewhere with this, but <laughs> I, I noticed that at some point, like in the middle of the quarantine, I was just like, I am getting so thin and I don't know why I haven't changed anything about anything. Mm-hmm. And then I put it together like, oh, maybe it's because I'm vaping a lot because, mm-hmm. you know, nicotine suppresses your appetite. And then I suddenly had like a lot of empathy for people who quit smoking because that must be a thing. Like people must worry about their appetite increasing when they stop smoking cigarettes. Was that a worry for you at all? Well, I feel like it wasn't a worry for me until it started happening. And as soon as I quit smoking, it's true. I have, I've gained weight since I quit smoking. And it's like, I don't know an exact number, but like when I was a smoker, I was very underweight. And as soon as I quit, I think I've gone up, I don't know, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. Like I couldn't fit into my wedding dress. I had to get a new one. Really? (laughs) Did you quit smoking like in the process of getting it altered? I I quit smoking right after I got married, but, um, I had decided when, like around the time I was getting married, like that's when I was going to start just being better to myself. Okay. And I just, um, you know, my dad had died and I was in like a bad place and I just was not well mentally or physically. And finally I'm like, listen, you're getting married. You're happy. Like you need to start taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's amazing. What, how did you do it? 
Uh, what quit smoking? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like, what did you do? Did you do anything? You said you went cold Turkey, but did you use any, I know there are like a million different ways to stop smoking. Well, what happened? It was, it wasn't intentional. I smoked for a really long time. I think I smoked for like a little over 20 years and, uh, I, I'm, I do a lot of catering. So I had done a catering job and I was so stressed out when I was doing it. I had to cook for 500 people, which is insane. Damn. Yeah. It was just me. And I used to work at a catering company actually. Oh, how funny. Yeah, Yeah, I did. That's a big event. It was, uh, for lady parts justice league. I love them. Yeah. So I, I catered their event and I was so stressed out that I smoked so many cigarettes like I kept taking breaks and smoking. And the next day I smoked a cigarette and I was like, I'm, I'm going to vomit and pass out at the same time. Like, I think I smoked myself sick and I just kept not smoking. Wow. You just kept going with it. I kept going with it. It was, it was hard. The withdrawals were really rough, but it's like after five days, like, what am I going to smoke now? Right. That's the longest just, I've ever gone. That's like when people come off heroin, like, and right. they're locked in a room for two days. At that point, it's like, I, you're cured. Right. Like, why would I go back just to go through this again? It's terrible. That's kind of like you kind of did the thing where, you know, like your child wants to smoke a cigarette. So you make them smoke the whole pack. But you kind of did that to yourself. Like you smoked yourself into quitting. That's exactly what I did. That's (laughs) perfect way to put it. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. So then did you think about starting it up again when you were gaining weight or did it not bother you so much at that point? No, because honestly, after the last cigarette, after it made me feel I'm like, I bet if I smoked a cigarette, like I would vomit right now. And it's just yeah. like, I felt like it would make me feel terrible. And I was just, I've been too afraid to smoke. So yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Keep that fear alive. Yeah. Seriously. I love it. I love it. I, did you notice? Um, so let's backtrack. Like when you lost weight, you don't have to say how much weight you lost, but like, did okay. you, did, did you go down like many sizes or like, were you much smaller or was it just, was it just like, did it feel different? Well, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. It, at first it was almost like I'm losing baby weight. It's like, you know, that's what everybody calls it. And suddenly sure. it's like, I remember being in old Navy and I was looking for jeans and I suddenly found like a size six and I was ever a six in my life. And I'm like, I can't believe these fit me. I must keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm going like... to I'm going to die because I have the literally the exact same experience except it was American Eagle. It wasn't <laughs> I'm going to I'm like going to fall off my chair. That funny. that exact same thing happened to me when you're losing weight. You have no idea. This like you get caught up in this cycle of you see yourself in the mirror every single day. Mm-hmm. So other people are seeing it on you, but it's impossible for your brain to catch up as quickly as it happens. And that exact same thing happened to me. Like I remember they used to stack the jeans in those cubby holes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. In like the American Eagles and, and Old Navies and those types of stores. And at the very bottom were the lower sizes and right. at the very top were the bigger sizes. So I just kept making my way down, like going into the fitting room, you know, like tried on a size 10, went in the fitting room, too baggy, went out, got an eight, went back in too baggy, went back. And I was like, this is not possible. <laughs> Cause like, I, I'm just not that different than before, but then I tried on the size six and it was like the most 
incredibly like euphoric feeling I've ever felt before because I think that to me was success. Like getting down mm-hmm. into the single digits for me was success because that's what I always, always wanted to be. Um, but it was such a slippery slope because then you just want, then you just want more. Then you're just moving on to the next thing. Like, can it's I get like, well, if I'm a six, right. Can I be a two? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So did you get much smaller than that? Oh, I went down to double zero. Damn girl. Yeah. I was a double zero until a few years ago. And what were people's reactions when they saw you? Like people who knew you for a long time. Well, um, at first people, like I noticed boys start to notice me and guys yeah. were almost like didn't recognize me. They're like, is, is that Noelle? And it was kind of like, oh, wow. Okay. And I think a lot at first people were saying like, oh, she's doing drugs. And it's like, Ugh. I mean, whatever, let him think, you know, whatever. I mean, but it's weird. That's what people went to. Yeah. That like, she must be doing drugs. That's the only explanation. Right. Not You're like, like nah, is she I'm okay. Just, yeah. I'm just starving <laughs> myself and smoking cigs, baby. That's all I was doing. I was like what, half a power bar a day and smoking cigarettes, you know, and it's like oh, people don't realize it. No. And th- the attention from guys, that was another thing that really tripped me up and it actually made me feel uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but for me, it felt very uncomfortable because that wasn't my experience. Like my experience was always like, my body was this barrier between me Mm -hmm. and guys. Like I didn't think anybody could be interested in me. And then when they did start to show interest in me, I was like, okay, well, I don't trust you because now I know that it's all because I have this body, but you wouldn't have even looked at me before when I had that body. Well, for me, it was almost like a carry situation. It was like once guys started showing interest in me, I'm like, this isn't real. They're just playing a joke on me. Playing a joke on you. Yep. Yeah. 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 Because, because it, I, I bet that attention made you insecure at that point. It made me feel so weird. It was like, I didn't know how to handle. I never had guys look at me twice. And then I'm like, you know, in the grocery store and like grown men are looking at me and it's like, ew, this is weird. Yeah. I had, God, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but yeah, I had the same experience. Like I'd be like, that's really mean of you to ask for my, like that's rude. Yeah. And, and really like aggressive and not accepting it because I, I, I think like people, people like you and me who have that experience of like going basically to adulthood uh, in a larger body and then losing a lot of weight, mm-hmm. you, you feel like, you know, this secret that like other, how judgmental other people are. Yes. Um, and that's how I felt. I was like, I can see through you. I can see through this whole like weird mm-hmm. mating ritual thing that you're doing. And I don't like it. No, I don't. I didn't like it at all, especially because it was like grown men. And it was like, I am a teenager. This is not appropriate at all. Yeah. It's uh, weird. And so did you become a big old slut? Like where, where did you go from there? So from there, um, I, so I wound up not being a slut for a while because I was so afraid of guys because they never liked me before. Like I was a virgin until I was 21, which is kind of unheard of. Yeah, that is, that's, that's, uh, impressive. Yeah. Like I tell people that they're like, okay. And I'm like, well, then I made up for it after that. I was a total slut later on. Sure. Because then I started using it to my advantage. Yeah. Did 
did that create problems like in relationships or when you were trying to date? Um, I mean, not really. I I've never really had many healthy relationships though, either. Fair. So, and I didn't have many relationships. It was more like, Oh, a guy thinks you're hot. You have sex with him. He doesn't talk to you anymore. Like that was my adult life. Right. Yeah. Fuck boy after fuck boy. Yeah. That's it. And then how did you meet your husband? So I met my husband. I was teaching at a bartending school and he took my class. Oh my God. Hot <laughs> teacher. I love yeah. that. <laughs> he took my class. He was fresh out of college. He was like uh, 23 and I was 30. And we no met. way. Yeah. We're seven years. I'm seven years older than him. That's interesting. Do you notice like, do you notice the age difference in, in little things? Because 23 to 30, that's like, yeah, that's like the difference between me and my sister. That's like practically another generation. Well, sure. When I first met him, it was like, we didn't date seriously because I couldn't take somebody that young seriously. Yeah. And now it's right. And now it's 10 years later. So we're, it's different when you're in your thirties, I think, you know, because it's like, I'm 39, he's 32. It's just, it's different now. It, it is different because early twenties, you're, I I've said this before, but your brain is not fully developed. Like you are just not an adult when you're 23. I no. think you're not like really an adult biologically until you're 25. No, I totally agree. And that's why like in the beginning, when I first met him, like we were so casual and I was like, go sow your wild oats, mm-hmm. go do everything you have to do. And I don't even think we got serious until he was like, I don't know, 27 Wow. So you were seeing each other casually, like off and on for five years Yes, or four Mm -hmm. years. That's, that is such a cute story. I love that. Yeah. And then we got together and then, you know, and it's, it's the best relationship I've ever had for sure. Oh, I love that. And you said that you're, you're thinking about having kids in the future. Do you have like a timeline for that? Or is it just, it happens when it happens? Kind of like it happens when it happens because I never wanted to have kids because I was always scared of getting pregnant. What is it going to do to my body? I'm terrified to give birth, like all of this stuff. And now, like I said, now I'm kind of more comfortable with the idea. Mm-hmm. So I, I think just like when it happens, it happens. I kind of just want to like not obsess about it because I love to obsess about everything. So I need to not obsess about this. I, that was going to be my next question because like that, for me, that was always a thing too. I was like, do I really want to get pregnant? Because I hear all these women who have had babies talk Mm -hmm. about how their body was never the same after. Mm -hmm. And I mean, never mind the fact that like you have this precious gift that makes life worth living. Like who Uh the fuck cares what your body looks like. Right. But that definitely scared me and made me think, okay, I'm just never going to have kids. Cause I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with like the insecurities that come up when you're pregnant or feel, you know, feeling huge and having people ask if you're pregnant when you just gave birth and all the nightmare things that happen to women. And I was also really scared of like, um, postpartum depression because like I struggle so much with, you know, so, so much anxiety and depression as it is that it's like, what is this going to do to me? Is this what's going to be, that's going to set me really over the edge? You know, that's a good question. Is there, do you know if there's a relation between people who struggle with depression and people who experience 
postpartum depression? I don't. And sometimes I think it's really the luck of the draw because yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Because like one of my best friends had a baby last year, nothing. She bounced back like the easiest thing in the world. And she's older than me. And she just had a baby. It was like, yeah, life is great. I'm fine. <laughs> her body looks great. This is like the best her body's ever looked. Like, no it's way. Wild. Yeah, it's wild. She just like puts the baby on her back and goes to soul cycle. Yeah, it's so crazy. I'm like, how do you, you are shaped like a Kardashian. How is this possible? Like, it's not fair. It's crazy. And there were all, there will always be women like that, that you're like, how is mm-hmm. that possible? How is that genetic? I'm right. And and then for me, I just, I, I'm always like, I'm going to put it out of my mind and just tell myself that you had butt implants or something. Yes. Like, I'm just going to tell yes. myself that you've had surgery done <laughs> just to make myself feel better. Seriously. <laughs> Do you struggle with like comparison, like comparing yourself to other women? Oh yeah. You know, I compare the parts of my body to other women. Um, I really, I have no butt at all, no matter what size I am. And like, all I do is look at women's butts all day long. I need to know why your butt looks like this and why my butt looks like this. (laughs) I wear padded underwear because I know my butt looks, I have a pair of padded underwear. I wear them sometimes depending on what kind of jeans I'm wearing. Yeah. I was going to say, do you wear them with jeans or are they like, is it a formal wear situation? No, it's just a jeans. Like sometimes when you wear like the mom high-waisted jeans, like a girl with no butt. Yes. Yes. You need a little something. Yeah. Even for me, my ass will disappear. And I'm always <laughs> like, these are not flattering. Why are these a thing? But they're you just know, not. They're they're just cute and they're comfortable. But yeah, that I they'll be gone. Eventually. <laughs> they'll be gone. It just you know, I see bell bottoms coming back too, which I'm a little I gotta horrified say, by. I do love a flare. Do you? I do. Yeah, I do. I feel like it gives women a really nice shape. I just, I love a flare. Well, I like a flare. I have big feet that I'm so self-conscious about. I've always been. And I Which, think- a What shoe size are you? I'm like a nine, nine and a half. Okay. Yeah. I'm a nine too. Okay. Thank you. And yeah. you're a small girl and yeah. they show, they show. Your feet <laughs> they size do. show. Depending on what shoes you wear also, mm-hmm. you end up looking like a, like a clown. Like I used to, I love white shoes. Like I love wearing white sneakers, but I tried to get a white pair of combat boots. Okay. And I went into the store and put them on and I looked like Krusty the Clown. I was like, this cannot, (laughs) this is not my look. Like this is not my look. And, but obviously there are women with bigger feet than, than us. I think Paris Hilton wears a size 11 shoe. She does. She does, right? Mm-hmm. She Obviously, does. you would know that of fact. Of course. I, I am obsessed with shoe sizes. It's so crazy. And it's like, every time I wear something, I'll be like, is my feet look big? Do my feet look big? I, it's like, it's just a thing. Just a thing. Uh, yeah. And you see it so much more than other people see it, though. It's like, true. It, it, everything on your body, but especially your feet. Nobody's mm-hmm. ever looking at your feet. But yeah, your feet. And what I was saying before about my sister having these tiny feet. Mm-hmm. That was like really, I was so jealous of that (laughs) because this bitch could just walk into any shoe store and just pick the shoe off the shelf, like the display shoe. Right. And just put it on her foot. Yeah. I don't know about that life. What is that like? What is that like? Like she's 
basically Cinderella. And I would see her do that. I'd be like, "You, this bitch is Cinderella. Like she's putting these <laughs> shoes on her feet. They all fucking fit. And it was the most, it was the most frustrating thing because you cannot change your foot size. That's the thing. No matter how much You could try binding weight, them like the Chinese right. do, but that's not going to do it. It doesn't work. It breaks it your foot doesn't is work. what it does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's funny. Do you have anything else that you obsess over? Um, well, I mean, like in my day-to-day life, I obsess about everything. I'm just an obsessive person. So obviously this is where my issues have stemmed from and they, they go all over the place, but yet in some ways I could also be very easygoing, which is Mm -hmm. like, it's a catch 22, but I can, I can tell you this though, from someone, and maybe you can agree from someone who's been on both ends of the weight class um, being underweight, I was shamed so much more than when I was overweight. See, that's interesting. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. I've been a, a few episodes ago. I was talking about skinny shaming as a thing and like how it's different from fat shaming. And I know that skinny shaming is a thing and I've mm-hmm. seen it happen to, you know, friends before and it's never, anybody shaming anybody's body. It never feels good. It's never a nice thing to do. I do think it is a little bit different because, you know, fat people in our society are just not accepted and not treated the same way and don't have access to all the same things. So like you calling somebody fat to me is more devastating than, than shaming somebody for being skinny. Sure. I mean, I, I totally get that because like being called fat, it hurts. It just hurts your feelings. It's like, yeah, okay, great. The way to play on, you know, everything that hurts me in the world, of course. Right. But But I know that, I know that the alternative can be painful too. I've never, I've never experienced it. So I don't know, but what was that like? I experienced that more than ever than I was for being fat shamed. Like when I was like at my lowest point, skinny. Like I remember even like my dad was in the hospital. My dad had like a week left to live. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was really bad. And my godfather came. He was ill? What did he die My dad had cirrhosis. My dad was an alcoholic. So he had cirrhosis of the liver. And it was like, it was, it happened so fast. Really? So it was like really stressful. I'm an only child. You know, I took care of him when he was sick none of my family were interested until he died. And then after he died, my family never spoke to me again. Like I just, yeah, it was like really, really rough. So of course you're not going to eat like even besides body problems. I'm not hungry. I'm very stressed out. Yeah. You were probably so anxious. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. Like I couldn't sleep. And I remember I called my godfather like, Hey, you should come to the hospital. My dad is very sick. You should say goodbye. Really? And the first thing he said when he saw me was like, oh my God, you're so skinny. Are you okay? Should I get you something to eat? Do you, do you, are you okay? And it's like, what am I, my dad's dying. Like, why are we doing this right oh, now? Yeah. And it was pouring it, salt on the wound. Yes. And that's been for always. I mean, last summer I met my stepsister's house and I had a stomach ache and her husband was going to make steaks. And he said something to my husband. My husband's like, don't even make one for Noel. Like she'll probably just eat like a side or something like she's not interested. He's like, yeah, she doesn't look like she eats very much. And it's like, why did people do this? No, it's, it's so wrong. And it's so like, 
it's not acceptable to do the opposite. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I don't understand about it. I think, I think you're right. Like it shows up skinny shaming probably shows up more in situations like that. Mm -hmm. Like when people are offering you food or making food, if you say like, Oh no, I I don't want the food. They, I'm sure a comment would follow like, Oh, of course you don't eat. Of course you never want the food, but the opposite I wouldn't see happening where like, if, if a a person in a larger body didn't want the food, I doubt somebody would be like, really? Cause it looks like you would want seconds. You know what I mean? Like it's it's rude. It's rude on both sides, but one is definitely more accepted than the other. It's definitely more accepted. Like the, if I had a dollar for every time someone told me to eat a cheeseburger, you know, it's like, yeah, why, wait, why is that? that's everyone's go-to thing, isn't it? Like eat a sandwich or eat a cheeseburger. Always. And you know, the thing is, since I'm three years old, I have had stomach problems. I was in the hospital. I have irritable bowels. I have like all these stomach issues. So like, I don't really like to eat out, not because it has nothing to do with how I feel about my body, but I never know how my stomach's going to react. So like, I just prefer really to eat more home because like, who doesn't want to poop at home? You know, right, right. And then you can also control, like, you know, everything in the food. Yeah. And I know who made it and I know what's there and if it's safe to eat or whatever it is. And people don't understand that. Like if I'm out and I don't want anything, people try to shove food down my throat. And it's like, no guys, like it's not because I'm worried about how I look. Like I just don't feel good, but like, let it go. And they just can't let it go. Oh, do you feel like the need to change the topic when that happens? Like, do you try to distract from it? Or I try, honestly, it gets to the point sometimes where it's like, I'm not even interested in going out. Like, I don't even want to put myself in this situation because I'm just tired of hearing it. Oh, what do you do for, so you have IBS. Yeah. What do you do for that? Do you have to take medicine for that? No, because IBS is more of like an umbrella term. It's kind of like, we don't really know what's wrong with you. So we're going to say your bowels are irritable, but like, that's not really what it is. You know, it's just, I I don't know. None of us really know what it is. So it's kind of like, it's temperamental. One day I could eat a steak and be fine. The next day I could eat a steak and be sick as a dog. Oh yeah. That's, that sounds very stressful. Well, that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from. So I feel like I'm so high strung and which adds to stomach problems. It's like a, a vicious cycle. It really is. And I, 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 a lot of it comes from how I felt when I was a kid about how I looked. I stressed myself so much about what I ate that I made myself sick. Oh my gosh. I, and then does that interfere with, uh, your work or I always wonder how people with IBS are able to go throughout their day. Like you don't know if you're going to need to like have diarrhea in the middle of the day. Like, does that affect you the way that you work or getting things done? Well, you know, it's like you have little rituals. It's like, all right, well, I have things to do today. So I am going to wake up and I'm not going to have any coffee and I'm not going to eat anything. And I'm just going to go do everything I have to do. And then when I come home, I'll have all the stuff, you know, it's yeah. like you have to really overthink things and it's hard to make plans in advance because you just don't know how you're going to feel that day. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself canceling? Yes. And I find most people don't understand and they think it's like a cop out. And it's like, I wouldn't, I would just say I didn't want to come. Like I wouldn't right. blame my stomach. No, I would blame my period. 
Oh, that's yeah. That's like if I was going to blame one. something, you know what I mean? It would be like sure. my period over IBS. Um, <laughs> and then are there certain foods that your doctor tells you to avoid? I don't listen. I'm with that. Yeah. I just, I, I am going to eat what I want. I spent my whole life not eating what I want. And I just like, if I want something, I'm going to eat it. Like they'll tell me don't have coffee. Well, I love coffee and I'm going to drink it. And if it makes me sick, it makes me sick because I just, yeah, but you won't be falling asleep in the middle of the day. Right. (laughs) And it's like, they say, don't have like garlic. And it's like, I'm Sicilian. My life is garlic. You think yeah, that's I'm not like a, it? that's offensive, right? Who are you? <laughs> you know, so it's like things like that, and it's like you know what? I'm gonna be sick either way, so I'm just gonna eat what I want. That's great that that works for you. It, I guess it probably depends also on like how severe, how severe sure. it is, right? But I have heard these crazy stories of like doctors telling their patients to eliminate like four different food groups are like, I have a friend who, um, I don't think she has IBS, but she was having some kind of digestion problem. She went to a nutritionist and this is like what really gets my goat. Like, this is just Mm -hmm. like, this is the number one thing that makes me so angry is just like the way that a lot of doctors and nutritionists will speak with such authority on things that they don't really fully understand. Like you were just saying before, IBS is a blanket term. Like nobody can really narrow down what you're having trouble digesting or what exactly it is. So sometimes they'll just say, yeah, um, don't eat dairy, bread, milk, or eggs. Like they'll just eliminate like four (laughs) major things that you would eat. Right. And it's like, okay, now I have to live half a life for a reason that I don't even know if that's going to work or not. (laughs) Like you're so, you hit the nail on the head. You really did. I'm 39. I was diagnosed with IBS at three years old. Oh, damn. Three years old. I mean, so it's 33 years. That's why I say like, I've done every diet for my look and for my stomach. Yeah. So like I've not eaten dairy. I've been a vegetarian. I've been a vegan. I've been this, I've been that like nothing helps. So that's why I say like, I'm, I'm going to eat what I want. I'm, I'm tired. I've done the food diaries. I've done it all. Nothing changes. Yeah. And then you just go on living your life and adjusting if you're having a flare up or whatever. And that's, that's what it is. It, that's exactly what it is. You know, I restricted myself so much from what I've eaten because of how I look, I can't do it like for my stomach too. Like I, I'll, I will live a life of madness that way. <laughs> yeah. Like I just, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. I'm upset that we have to wrap up the show, yeah. but can you tell the listeners where they can find you and follow you and listen to your podcast? So we, myself and Tracy, we do teen mom trash talk. We do 90 day fiance trash talk. You can find me on Instagram at Noe girl underscore or on Twitter at Noe girl. Hell yeah. And absolutely listen to her podcast. I have not listened to teen mom trash talk because I don't watch. I've never watched teen mom or got into it. Um, should I start? No, I feel like it's a little too late. It's kind of played out now. Yeah, It's played out now, (laughs) but I got so into 90 day fiance in the quarantine watched the entire, not only the entire series of 90 Day Fiance, but the entire franchise. I've seen oh, wow. the other way. <laughs> I've seen, um, what's the one before the 90 days. Yeah. I've seen happily ever after. I've seen them all. 
The only mm-hmm. ones that I haven't seen are like the spinoffs, like the family Chantel and all sure, that. Like, I don't really give a fuck. Mm-mm. But if you watch 90 Day Fiance, you will love this podcast because these two girls are so funny. They just give their take on it and they're both absolutely hilarious. So check Yay. it out. All and right. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. All right, all right, all right. That was my conversation with Noelle Winters Herzog. Definitely give her a follow. Check out her podcast. I'm so happy that I was able to kind of commiserate with Noelle about a lot of these things that we talked about. And I was able to connect with her so much more than I even knew or thought that I would. I knew that I liked Noelle, but I didn't know that we were such kindred spirits in this way. And That was just a happy accident and a happy surprise of bringing her on the pod, which is another reason why I fucking love doing this podcast. I love connecting with people about body image and learning that it affects everyone. Don't feel like you're alone in this struggle because it really does affect everyone and you never know what somebody else is going through based on the way they look. So guys, if you want to show me some love for this podcast, there are a few ways that you can do that. You can screenshot this and make it your Instagram story. You can also share the audiogram for the podcast, which will be up on my Instagram. You can share it to your story and also keep writing reviews. The reviews really do help the show. And I'm loving reading your guys' reviews. I'm going to continue reading the extra good ones on the podcast. So keep them coming. Follow me at Lubination on social media. That's L-U-B-I-N-A-T-I-O-N. And as of today, you can also follow the RIP Diets Instagram, which is just RIP Diets. We're going to have some fun content on there. I would love to see you guys over there. I'll have a link to it in my bio as well. If you want even more RIP diets, if you just cannot get enough of me, go to patreon.com slash rip diets. For $6.99 per month, you get bonus episodes, videos, vlogs. You get a really nice up close and personal look at my recovery or post recovery, whatever you want to call it. Some days I'm not so sure myself. And I talk about all of that on the Patreon Also, it's just fun to vlog and to have you guys watch my videos and see what a day might look like for me. I'm really loving the engagement on there. So check it out, patreon.com slash rip diets. And I'll see you all next week on Monday for another episode. Peace out. Peace out.